0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and forgotten and scorned taxpayers to the one and only CR podcast here at Blaze TV for another fine Wednesday, December 2nd of broadcasting. Truly independent conservative thought, where we actually fight for the principles that we claim to believe in, unlike the Republican Party. Now, folks, there's a lot to talk about on the crime front just to continue yesterday's show, but I am going to put that on hold because I do want to get to election news today. This is about so much more than Donald Trump. In many respects, as I always talk about, this is not even so much about elections because I don't even think elections are that important until we do other things, get a new movement, a new party, focus on other issues. But in many ways, this is what is focusing people's attention and maybe, perhaps, finally getting them to rebel against this Republican Party. If it's going to take Trump in elections, the only two things that so many of our people seem to care about, to get focused, then I'm all for it. And I want to make that case a little better But I want to start off with the following quote. Okay? We set up the Democratic Party with one plank only. That this is a white man's country, and white men must govern it. Under that banner, we went to battle. It was then that we shot them. It was then that we killed them. It was then that we stuffed ballot boxes because this disease needed a strong remedy. I do not ask anybody to apologize for it. I'm only explaining why we did it. Those are the words of South Carolina's senator in 1876, Benjamin Pitchfork, Ben, he was called, Benjamin Tillman. He was a leader of the red shirts that kind of went after African-Americans in the South. Um, And he was talking about how Democrats stuffed the ballot boxes and tried to cheat in that very, very contentious 1876 election. What could we learn from that election? How does that apply nowadays? And why is it so important to fight on? And why this is about so much more than Trump? We're going to have a guest on later, Claudia Tenney, who's running for Congress and is still running for Congress a month after the election because we don't have Election Day anymore in New York and elsewhere. So we'll hear from her. But first, a message about today's sponsor, Patriot Penguin. Folks, you know... (laughs) In a time like this, we still need to keep our sense of humor. And often, when you're looking this time of year to send greeting cards, Christmas cards to your friends and relatives, you're sitting in those aisles of Rite Aid or a convenience store full of overpriced greeting cards that don't say anything of value. For years, Americans have just been buying these ridiculous call cards With incoherent messages, they almost look like they have been written from Biden's speechwriter. Those days are over thanks to Patriot Penguin, the first and only greeting card company for conservatives with a bigly sense of humor. From birthdays to Christmas cards, anniversaries, Patriot Penguin has a wide selection of cards that will trigger your snowflake friends and relatives. But also remind the like-minded that you don't drink the mainstream PC Kool-Aid. All their cards are designed and printed right here in the good old USA. They ship free and quick. You got to love that, folks. Go to PatriotPenguin.com right now. Save on four cards for 22 bucks. It's a deal with offer code CR. You must place your order by December 15th to guarantee arrival before Christmas. So um, make sure you make that purchase this week. Let's keep Christmas great with Patriot Penguin. Go to PatriotPenguin.com. PatriotPenguin.com. Offer code CR. Now, folks, a lot of people I'm hearing, they're saying, well, Daniel, what's the remedy? What are you going to do about it? Look, you know, the the, the state's already certified. The courts are going to tell us to talk to the hand. You know, it's so systemically messed up. It's not like you could point to specific votes enough in certain places to say they're fraudulent other than to say well, all these ballots were cast through mail-in, which violates state law, and no one's going to disenfranchise millions of voters. So it's like, what are you going to do? And what's stupid about that is we have no place to run from here, no place to run or hide. I want to remind you of something that Professor Derek Muller said on this show just days before the election that I didn't think much of at the time, but I think it was really prophetic. I asked him the following question. So he's an election law specialist. He, he teaches election law in, in law school, Pepperdine University, several other places. And I said to him, why is it that we have so many bad lower court and state court decisions governing election law, upending our election system, You know, gutting all the verification processes, Uh, green lighting, or sometimes mandating extra voting anomalies and ballot harvesting. If the Supreme Court has been pretty clear on this issue, and I haven't seen a bad Supreme Court ruling on election law in many, many years. In fact, even Anthony Kennedy was pretty decent on election law. How is it that we have elections that are being decided and have been for quite a while already, erroneously, because of certain measures that were put in place against law and against Supreme Court precedent? We're all told the Supreme Court is God. And he made a very simple point. He said that's because Republicans never fight it. It gets mooted out because once the election's over, they, they drop it. They never follow it and get their day before the Supreme Court and actually appeal it to the ultimate, you know, the point where we can actually have some sort of a resolution. And that's where we stand now. They're doing the same thing. Let's just drop it. you got to be stupid to do that. This is not about getting Trump into the White House. What is the remedy? The remedy is... Having a court declare those votes unconstitutional, especially in Pennsylvania, what do you do with it? It doesn't mean you mechanically say, oh, so therefore Trump won, you know, Pennsylvania by two million votes or something. Just throw- But what you do is you have legislative hearings, you negotiate that, and that's a process with the legislature, and it's a process with Congress. Because ultimately, Congress has to certify. Ultimately, the state legislators, in my view, constitutionally determine the slate of electors. But ultimately, Congress really votes on that certification. And if they don't like it, they could throw it into chaos. That's not a bug. It's a feature of the system. When you have contested elections, there's got to be some way to resolve it. And it was designed to create compromise with multiple stakeholders. But at least you get to the bottom of the issue. The notion that after having hearings in Arizona and Pennsylvania, yesterday in Michigan, that there's nothing to see there when you have so much sworn testimony alleging very serious things that over and beyond Trump and Biden and this election. How could we have that going on in this country? It should bother. I mean, even if you're a Democrat and you like the result, I understand that. But I'm saying if the shoe were on the other foot, I'd be like, man, I'm well, I mean, I guess I'm glad that he's going to be president rather than the other guy. But like we can't have that going on in the country. I mean, at least for the future, you want that resolved, but you're only going to resolve that for the future if you get to the bottom of it now. And that's where I want to bring in the 1876 election. You see, the reason why we're not going to get a resolution on this issue is because we don't have a Republican Party that stands behind us the same way the Democrat Party stands behind the left. So you don't reach that inflection point, that point of crossing swords where one side is dug in, doing everything they can, using all of their levers of power that they control to promote their side, while the other side does the same thing with equal and opposing force, and then you reach a point where that sounds really bad and acrimonious, but actually, that's the way things are resolved. Then you reach a compromise, and sometimes a compromise might be a national divorce, maybe. I don't know. Or other arrangements, and we could talk about what that would look like. But you have to get to the bottom of it and be able to make the case to get to that. But we can't make the case if 90% of the Republican Party is not on board. And that's where we see the contrast to 1876. Now, now I want to say right off the bat, I'm not endorsing things that went on then and saying certain outcomes were good. What I'm just saying is from a purely political perspective the system actually worked because both sides had representation that fully represented their views. This is what's unique about the time we live in. Back then, the country was very divided like it is today. In fact, a lot of people have said this is very similar to you know, the 1800s when both pre-Civil War, but even for a period of time post-Civil War, when it was ver- very polarized pretty much between the North and the South. And all the party was in one way, the other party was in another way. States were all lopsided in one direction. Now, the difference is now, rather than state versus state, it's more mixed in city versus rural in all 50 states. But that polarization is is very evident. But what is different is that back then, you had, whether you agreed with the views or not, you had a political party representing each view. In fact, that's why Abraham Lincoln created the Republican Party, because initially, you didn't have a party opposing the Democrats on slavery with as much force as they were pushing it. The Whig Party was useless, and he recognized that. And after just about... You know, less than 30 years, the party was defunct. In other words, we have been going on since Reagan with a Republican Party that has been ineffective for longer than the entire shelf life of the Whig Party, which was the impetus in creating the Republican Party. So he created the party, and they pushed back against slavery. And each one fought for their, their cause, and that's why the elections were very contested. Which brings us to the 1876 election, and the more I think about it, the similarity similarities are very eerie. So basically, you had election night, where you know, Sam Tilden was doing very well. You needed 185; that was the magic number back then. The 530, uh, I'm sorry, the 270 of today was 185. Then Tilden had 184, lock, stock, and barrel. Okay, at 184, he won the popular vote very clearly. And then it looked like, you know, along with the other southern states, Florida and Louisiana would follow in terms of going solidly for Tilden, the Democrat, and not Hayes, the Republican. Okay? So... Later on, Oregon got thrown in because of a technicality with the one of the electors was disqualified by the governor. That's a long story. But let's just focus on the southern states. So basically, those states were there were a lot of irregularities. There really were was a lot of fraud in other states as well. But um basically, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention I had the three states Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina. Those three states were in dispute. And basically, it looked like Tilden was winning them. So it was like, well, he already had 184. And then um, Hayes would have had to win all the other three. But it looked like, you know, they would obviously follow the way the other Southern states were. And Hayes went to sleep with a bottle of whiskey thinking he lost. But then what happened was back then, you actually had Republicans. You had political parties that represented their constituencies. And they're like, wait a minute. Kind of like today, you had insane voter turnout. To this day, that was the highest voter turnout election, which it looks like we're going to come close to this time. Same type of deal. Some of those southern states, it was like 100% turnout to eligible voters type of deal. We don't have that statewide in any place, but in some localities, we're coming close to that. In these metro areas in those four states, very similar dynamic. And they were like, wait a minute. So it wasn't a matter of Hayes kind of pushing it and then his party fragging him. It was really the opposite. Hayes wasn't so into pushing it. But back then, it was basically because the Republicans, you know, most of the people there were Democrats, but you had the African American voters who were Republican. And then the control because of Reconstruction. A lot of the election boards were controlled by the Republicans, so they were throwing out votes. They're like, "Well, these, this is fraud." There was tons of intimidation, which we, you know, which was later admitted by that South Carolina Benjamin uh, Senator Benjamin Tillman that I mentioned before. He said they they literally beat people. They now I'm not going to say people were beaten here; they were beaten pre election with the mobs. So you have that similarity, but certainly you had the intimidation of voters. You had the intimidation of of poll watchers and all these, the statistical anomalies, the mail-ins that don't make sense. You have all this testimony. Now, back then, now, now nowadays in all these states, basically in most of them, you have Democrats controlling the process at the executive side of things. This is where it gets complicated, but you do have Georgia and to a certain extent Arizona, where you have Republicans who are like Democrats, but back then the Republicans sided with Republican voters. And they were like, we don't like what we're seeing here, and we're throwing them out. And they basically said, no, Hayes won. These votes are are not valid. I'm sorry. But then that led to a whole dispute, because who ultimately decides which electors if you have different parties sending different electors, it's really Congress at the end of the day. And just like today, you had an interesting scenario where the Senate was controlled by Republicans, the House was controlled by Democrats, just like today, and the president of the Senate, who is the current vice president, Who would kind of oversee the certification process when they meet that first week in January was also a Republican, just like today. So Democrats were like, Democrats in the House said, We are not certifying that. We are not certifying that Hayes won that. We won it. And they had to, and they forced a compromise. And there were two layers of compromise. The initial, now, then they had more time to work with. So, we never reached a scenario. What happens when you have a disputed election after the deadline of the inauguration? Because it was March, what, March 5th back then? March 4th or 5th. And they created a commission. Now, the problem was the commission originally was supposed to be seven Republicans, seven Democrats, and independent. But then that independent got swapped out for a Republican. So it was eight to seven. And not surprisingly, the vote was eight to seven. To certify hayes won those contested states which included oregon as well or for them and and again it's funny i mean each side fully stood for their side and that's what you had there it was known like i mean the senate republicans wouldn't sign off on tilden and the house democrats wouldn't sign off on hayes but nonetheless, because it's funny the way the commission wound up being eight to seven, it had haze. So the Democrats agreed to accept the commission, but they made it very clear that the election was a fraud, and they extracted concessions—very big concessions that were likely bigger than even the election. Which I, as I note a lot, a lot of times the issues are bigger than the election itself. For one, and I'm not sure how much of this was informal, formal part of the agreement or just kind of naturally happened, Hayes pledged to only serve one term and he'd be gone, which he kept. He said he'd have a Democrat in his cabinet. But most importantly, they ended Reconstruction and took out all the federal troops. Now again, I'm not saying that in itself was a good thing and it led to Jim Crow and everything, but I'm saying from a political perspective, it worked out because both parties stood their ground and ultimately, they had a compromise that was very substantial. That is ultimately what needs to happen. The, the problem is we can't even get a full airing out of the fraud. But just based on what we already see. Now look, just because someone swears, people swear falsely, but there's a heck of a lot of them. A lot of them seem very credible. Some of them are Republican officials, poll watchers, but some of them are, you know, lifelong election officials or long career election officials. Some are postal workers. I mean, just claiming they just stealing ballots. I mean, this is really bad. So I'm all for Democrats cross-examining them and having a commission, but they don't want to do that because why should the Democrats do it if 90% of the Republicans agree with them? So, of course, they. I mean, at the end of the day, you say Republicans control the Senate, but they don't. How many Republicans would fight this? Less than 10. So the, the Democrats essentially have a 90-10 majority like they do on every issue. The same way we played quotes from the West Virginia governor yesterday, sounding as maniacal, as retarded, as illogical, as dictatorial as Cuomo and Newsom on masks and lockdowns. You have that on every issue. We don't have a Republican Party that will stand the ground. And when you stand the ground, you force the issue. You force discovery of the issue. It's very hard to do it when you have 90% of your own side throwing spitballs at you and joining the Democrats, making fun of your effort. Your effort looks very clumsy. All the the baseless allegations. But it's not. Not by a long shot. I mean, the stuff that was talked about yesterday sworn affidavits sworn testimony in Michigan military ballots just totally carbon copied it appeared to be fraudulent absentee ballots not folded you had that IT specialist Dr Linda Lee Tarver who was just basically saying that in the, in these inner cities they don't allow poll watchers to be protected literally like what you had In 1876, she says 71% of Detroit can't be counted due to the process used by the poll workers due to many causes, most of which are deliberate or accidental illegalities, ballot harvesting. Boxes of ballots brought in between 1 and 4 a.m. on November 4th. These random boxes of ballots. And... um. Unlisted voters, voters with birthdays that are 120 years old, duplicate ballots being put through the scanner multiple times, counted multiple times. That's literally one of the accusations Republicans made of Democrats in those states in 1876. Machines hooked up to the internet. This woman who was a contractor hired to help Dominion tabulators. Gave a lot of examples of, of of fraud she saw. Daniel, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? That's not our problem. If you actually had a united Republican Party, from M- McConnell to everyone in Congress and Senate and the state legislators and the governors, could you imagine how different this country would look our efforts, everyone's always like, well, Daniel, I'm all for what you want to do, but you guys got to get a better staff, and believe me, I'm not a fan of Giuliani. Believe me, I'm not. But no matter what we would do, you look clumsy. When you have the entire establishment against you, and you get no help from anyone investigating this, and you don't want to make mistakes, but on the other hand, you want to be very quick, because you have a very short um, window to deal with what what is could be year, a years-long criminal investigation that is so systemic and widespread, it's not an excuse for not doing it. And that's why at least when you start with the low-hanging fruit in Pennsylvania where you know, forgetting about fraud, just election law, they just overrode election law there, that needs an injunction. You can't certify it because those mail-ins are all fraud. Well, Daniel... You're going to disenfranchise me. Well, you already disenfranchise people. What you do with that is going to have to be worked out, but that's not an excuse for greenlighting illegal ballots. That's the simple reality here. We don't have a party that will stand the ground. All of our issues look weaker. Because we're like fighting uphill. When Democrats and the media could showcase 90% of Republicans trashing us every second, then yeah, you look kind of stupid. Imagine if we had every Republican promulgating policies and disseminating information in concert with what we put out here on the show on the virus and on crime every day. People in the country know that there's always two sides to a story. And they'd be open to hearing another side. But when both sides are the same, and it's just kind of a fringe yelling from the back, please, please listen to us, it's very easy to be marginalized. This is exactly like the 1876 election. And it needs to get a similar result in the respect of, we're not talking about segregation and and reconstruction, but what we are talking about is, you know, Maybe you'd say, look, fine, Biden could be president, but there's going to be certain agreements here. There are certain things that are off limits. Certain things are off limits. Certain things you can't do, or maybe you kind of start this two-state solution where, look, you know, you could be president, you could run foreign affairs, but at the domestic policy level, basically our states could do what we want on domestic policy and we're not going to listen to what you have to say. But again, Republicans agree with Biden on most issues, the elected Republicans at least. Just the opposite. Democrats love power. We love liberty. I don't care so much about power. It's a, it's, it's a means, not an ends to us. So I'm fine with some sort of negotiation saying, look, this was fraudulent. You didn't win the election. Kind of like Tilden said. But, whether he's, he was right or wrong, but that's what he felt. So, so you could have the presidency. And the Senate, will vote to sign off on that. But we're going to get extractions. The reconstruction, the occupation, the tyranny ends. And in this case, it's corona fascism. And you won't have a mask mandate. Or if you want to, we're not going to abide by it. But I'm just saying... That actually is how you come to peace more. There is no constitutional blueprint... For working out every last scenario. There can't, there can't be. Everyone wants like a clean process. What do you do if genuinely one both sides think they won? And I think there was a lot of wisdom... In the founders having Congress ultimately sign off on it. Because I think they felt that, look, if it's of the same party as the presumptive winner, so then that would mean that, broadly, you see the public did probably vote for that side. But if it's divided government, and they felt the country kind of is divided. So, you know, if one side controls the Senate, then... It's a stalemate, and they're going to have to work it out. You know, what do you do if the House signs off but the Senate doesn't? There is no answer to that, and it's not a flaw. Sometimes there just can't be an answer to everything. But we never get these resolutions because we won't even do the judicial supremacy part of it that everyone always loves going to the courts. Very few Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley put out statements pushing for support of Kelly and Parnell's uh, cert uh, request at the Supreme Court. But that's what's so important. You don't just say, well, what are you going to do, throw out all those ballots? Well, I mean, you're at least going to declare them unconstitutional, politically and practically. What do you want to do with that? That's going to have to be a compromise. It's not that hard to understand. Which, anyway, is really what this country needs more. Because remember, again, back then... Slavery and then, you know, black rights and segregation was pretty much the only issue, it's a massive issue, but it was the only issue that divided them. And they kind of worked that out. And, you know, for better or for worse, they worked that out with that election. We disagree on everything. You know, one side believes not covering your face is a crime, but murder is not a problem. You, you, you can't, you know, a man's a woman. You, you, you can't live in harmony with, th- with that. You can't have a republic with that. You have to have some sort of agreement. Except one side wants to dominate, win all. We're not looking for winner take all. You want to have half the states and the national government? I could even accept that. But we're going to have certain concessions based on that. So we could all live freely. The way we want. Some people would have to move and self-sort, but that's fine. But you're not going to get to this point if you don't push that inflection point and reach that point of resolution. Now, I want to get to our guest here. So as part of introducing our next guest, I just want to preface by saying what I'm seeing from a lot of Republicans, some conservative commentators, even legal eagles that I respect They're saying, look, this is about Trump, it's Pennsylvania, it's some of these states that were heartbreakingly close, you don't like the results, and come on, just give it up, fight next time. The problem is people are missing the point of how systemic this is, and it's not just about Trump. You look at New York State, certainly not a competitive state in terms of statewide elections, in terms of the presidential election. But this is December 2nd. We're a month after the election, and we still don't know the winners. Some of them were certified yesterday, the day before. And then there's races still going on. Ballots found here, mail-ins there, questions here. In the race for Congressional District 22, and this really is a microcosm of what's going on, Claudia Tenney, she's a former congresswoman from the 22nd District, roughly east of Syracuse, dead center of the state, and she was elected in 2016. She lost in 2018, which was a pretty bad year, the midterms. She ran again this time, a rematch. And she was well ahead election night. So I, you know, I kind of surveyed the house races as I was following the presidential race. And I saw her race. And I was like, all right, okay, nothing this year. She's easily gonna win that. And I moved on. And then I didn't realize that, well, they only counted 70% of the ballots election night. And it would be another month of counting and counting. And of course, anything that goes over election day, it always seems to help the Democrats. We've seen that the last couple of election cycles with these mail-ins. And now her lead is down to 12 votes and they're still counting or discovering more ballots. We have a county judge there that said we have a serious problem here. So this is not even just about Trump. It's not even just necessarily partisan we have a major problem with our electoral system, and we need an inflection point to force the issue, if not the presidential election itself, at least to resolve the problem we have with our third-world electoral system. So with us is none other than former Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, who will hopefully be Congresswoman-elect. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you. It's great to be on. And uh exactly what you're saying is true this it it is much more than just the presidential race there were irregularities in my race in 2018 that we were trying to fix and we're hoping would be resolved and we were bracing for as we got into 2020 but because of the covid virus where a lot of excuses can be made in state government and the state governments control our electoral process governor andrew cuomo signed an executive order in August after the debacle with the New York primaries, which take place in June, and changed all the rules of election law. So basically, everything is a go. Now we have no excuse absentee voting. But what's worse, the governor created an online portal that was unverified. So anyone, any third party could go in if they long and they had the name, address and date of birth of any registered voter and order a ballot and that ballot could be sent to that address. And this, you know, anyone, no verification. I could order one for my neighbor. And this, we think, has caused a lot of the problems. But it goes it gets even worse than that. There are so many other irregularities that it's just I mean, people uh, again, the Democrats. Big problem has always been throughout the ages. Is getting their voters to the polls? They have figured out a solution. They are now getting the polls to the voters in the form of absentee <laughs> ballots. And it's just it's a it's it's a mess, and it's well beyond the presidential race
0: exactly. and And as you stated very clearly, We've seen this going on for a while. This was kind of blown wide open with the COVID thing. They did it out in the open, but it's been they've been ratcheting up this mail in this breaking of the electoral system that over and beyond questions of fraud and and using their GOTV to their benefit and codifying their GOTV into law rather than going through the fair process of changing election law. There's just the problem that like we don't know who won and all these races for longer and longer, it's getting worse every election cycle with more and more races taking longer and longer. That's something that nobody should want in a country like this. And we're certainly seeing that in New York. But but let me just get this straight with the portal you're talking about. So, you know, we have um, a relative. My my father's brother died this year. He lived in New York. And I'm sure he'll be registered to vote until the end of times. And because I know he got a stimulus check, too. so. You're telling me we could have gone on that portal and ordered a ballot for him.
1: Yes, as long as he is listed, listed as a registered voter and has a voter serial number, because if they haven't purged his record uh, and I'll give you, for example, when my mom died in 2015, she died in April. I went to go vote in the New York primary, which at the time was in September, and she was still on the voter rolls because she's right next to me. Uh, I live across the street from the house I grew up in, so we were, we're on the same street, same ward and district. So, uh, yeah, this is a problem. New York, I'll tell you what, the, what a couple big problems with New York are. The two biggest problems that I see, in addition to what Cuomo created with this mess, is that number one, New York does not have a valid voter ID system. It is essential to making sure the integrity of each person's vote is preserved. The second thing New York doesn't have is a regular purging of inactive or voters who don't show up at the polls. So if you register to vote and you don't vote in 20 years, you may go to an active status, but it doesn't make you ineligible to vote. So for example, the state of Ohio has a two-tiered voter ID system. You have to have a government ID and you have to back it up with a valid address that you actually live there. The other thing that Ohio has done is if you don't vote in two consecutive elections, you are purged from the from the role so that nobody can go in and harvest your vote. And, you know, say you've moved and you haven't been around for five years, you can go in New York state. I can go, I know people who are registered to vote at certain places and they haven't lived there for years. But if we went to a mail at home ballot system, that ballot could go to that person's home without them asking based on the way that Cuomo did this portal. And remember something, this, this executive order was done without the input of the legislature. They did not go into session. They did not weigh in. They did not conduct committee hearings. They didn't hear from experts or the public. It was done by executive fiat. And so in promising to put this out because of the virus, the governor also said he would give resources to these boards of elections to handle this onslaught of of ballots coming in. And just to give your listeners an example. So on a typical congressional race in my district, there's seven or 8,000 absentee ballots. This time there were over 70,000. Wow. We still have the same you know, mailing deadlines and rules. So now these boards are essentially have been asked to do three elections. First, they have to do early voting. Then they've gotta <laughs> do election day voting. And then they've gotta do the absentee voting without any additional staff. And it's all gotta be done within the rules with timelines. So I say before people start blaming the boards of elections and actually screaming fraud, The Democrats have created calculated chaos where these boards are just so overwhelmed. The system is overstressed and it leaves great room for error and also for parties who are less than uh, sincere to take advantage of this chaos. And that's what a lot of people have done. And that's why it's so unfair to these boards to just attack them and say, hey, you know, you're incompetent. I mean, I was just as alarmed as everyone when last night, after the judge had ordered all the votes to be done, that all of a sudden 55 ballots were uncovered on a shelf somewhere in one of the counties.
0: So, can you explain that I, I, again to, to the average person? And I've never understood this. So, they think you go to the polls, and all right, you just you just tabulate it. What is this business of finding ballots? <laughs> you know, what does that mean?
1: Well, so one of the ways that you know we try to make sure every vote gets counted. You know, you hear every legal vote. You hear the Democrats talking about how they have voter suppression if you have voter ID, which is nonsense. You know, no voter ID allows people to come in and vote for you. And what is more sacred as an American citizen than having the right to vote privately and making sure your vote actually counts and nothing highlights how important it is than when you get into a close race like mine, where you actually unwittingly, we've uncovered all the flaws and problems with the system that you wouldn't see in a race that wasn't so close. So that's a really good point. A voter. Yeah, a voter can walk in and and go to vote and, and the Board of Elections will say, oh, here you are, you're not in our book of registered voters for some reason. Now there's another inherent flaw in the system that occurs all the time. So in order to fix that, what the board has done and what the case law says, you can fill out a ballot and sign an affidavit on the front stating your name, your address, and if you've changed addresses or for what reason you might not be included on the voter rolls, They take that ballot, they seal the envelope, they put the affidavit on the front, and they set it aside to be considered after election day. They'll go through and run through, uh, maybe uh, match that voter serial number that they'll have or the date of birth and everything, and they'll match it with the state voter rolls to make sure that person is a registered voter. If they are, the bipartisan uh, election commissioners, there's a Republican and Democrat that are appointed, they will go through and determine, yes, this looks valid, we'll put it in the flow. But there are a lot of mistakes. For example, a really good example for our case is a longtime friend of mine who votes all the time. Uh, He went to vote, and uh, he's a cardiologist. And he went to vote, and guess what? They didn't have him registered. He filled out an affidavit ballot. When I received the rejected ballots by the board, the bipartisan board rejected the ballots, he was among them. There was a mistake. They put his date of birth in wrong. He didn't. It was in the handwriting of the Board of Elections commissioner or some staff person. Wow. And they threw his ballot out. Now, here's a guy who is, you know, a, a pillar of our community. Not only he was the guy who actually treated Ronald Reagan when he was shot by John Hinckley mm. back, you know, in the day he was down in the D.C. area. But he's a he's a lifelong, you know, re- original resident from our region. But he was very upset. He said, how come my vote is not counted? I'm registered. But we're finding that, you know, there was an administrative." ministerial a mistake and he was not included we've gone back through these rejected affidavit ballots and found over seven six or seven hundred that we think could possibly come back so again we don't you know these boards again are overstressed overwhelmed and now you have a judge that's supposed to look at the the laws to try to make sense of this stuff and so it's uh you know it it has to, to get back to the the uh, top of the show This has to be solved. We need to address these issues. My concern is this. We are in a one-party state in New York. They like the chaos. They like the ability to manipulate the system. It's how New York works. But this is not right for New York citizens, American citizens, or any of us. And potentially, we need to solve this problem if we can't solve it on New York level. There has to be some kind of solution on the federal level. And I think, I agree with you. I think the president, whether he wins this race or not, they need to uncover the flaws yes. in the system because we, we can't go on as a nation if we can't secure the right to vote, which is so sacred. And I'll tell you, my son is a Naval Academy graduate. He's serving as a captain in the Marine Corps and the people before him, people who have served this country uh, for decades, lost their lives, limb, others. For us to not fix this system that is so vitally important is, is just a travesty. And I hope that the president and all of us continue to make sure we set this right and get it and make it uh, functional
0: again. Well, and they often lo- lost their lives securing election systems in Afghanistan and Iraq that had more money and uh, resources put into them than our own elections. And I think that's what's very tragic.
1: I'll give you a really interesting example. Uh, one of uh, one of my friends, his father was running for the New York State Assembly. So, oh, God, 50, 40, 50 years ago. And it came down to military ballots that were coming in. There were nine military ballots. They were written in red ink instead of black ink. So the Board of Elections rejected them. The commissioners rejected them because the statute said they had to be written in black ink. Now, these are sent from overseas, uh, the Korean War. And uh, guess what? We lost the election by one vote. Wow. Now, imagine today the intent of the voter. You know, geez, you used a red pen. Exactly. And, uh, sorry, and that's these out. are military
0: you know, people. People serve in the military. But, you know, we're we're the we're a nation of the rule of law, not the rule of political whims of men. And the law is the law. And but, you know, and, and that's how we used to treat it to that extent. But what we're talking about is just open-ended mail-ins where we have no paper trail. The, the seals are already broken. We have, we don't do signature matching on a lot of them. We have very dirty rolls. It's systemically this way, even even without major new fraud, just from what we know already happens, plus this year's anomaly of putting a massive proportion of the electorate on mail-ins, which, I mean, the Carter Baker Commission talked about them being the most uh, uh, riddled with, with fraud. We've had that as since the 1864 election with McClellan, with military mail-ins, it's obvious. and, And this is what shocks me. You made a good point, I feel, about the close races. This really happens a lot of places, but where you see it are the close races. And a lot of people are like, well, we'll win bigger next time. The problem is, you know, there's a lot of states that, Nobody's going to win. Wisconsin's always very close. Pennsylvania is going to always be close for the foreseeable future. Then you have congressional seats, which could be in all 50 states like New York, where the state isn't close. But I mean, look, yeah, you, Claudia, you know this. The House is going to be won by about, you know, five or so seats for a Democrat majority. And you look back at the last few elections of Democrats winning. I I could count the, the House seats based on voting procedures and anomalies with ballot harvesting that is not pursuant to state law. Republicans would absolutely, in my view, have some degree of a majority in the House right now if we counted pursuant to law. For how long are we going to let this slide?
1: Exactly. And I hear a couple of real important points on this. So you're seeing today, there were some uh, whistleblowers who came out and said there were ballots delivered uh, allegedly, or there were ballots delivered from New York City to Pennsylvania. Interesting in my race as well, which is a little bit of everything in this race. There were ballots that were delivered to the Queens Board of Elections from purportedly going to this race after Election Day that end up getting forwarded up to our race after Election Day. So, to at what point do we stop counting when the <laughs> this is? Well, we issue. start
0: counting thirty days. We have with God knows how much early voting, so you could have late voting too. I guess.
1: Well, the other thing is, so a perfect example. When you talk about matching uh, and P- the ability of someone to show up and claim they're someone they're not. Was we were going through these provisional ballots, we saw uh, that there was uh, a 95-year-old who voted, and and I mean, look, it. I'm from another generation than you, probably very young, but I know that we all wrote a lot better. We write our handwriting under the Palmer method looks a lot better than oh, than for some sure, of these, uh, <laughs> younger people. And I looked at the signature and it just didn't seem to match. And it looked like the signature of someone younger, not someone who's 95. So we called the woman. She did not vote this year, not by absentee, not in person. But yet somebody showed up at the polls uh, as an imposter, you know, portraying themselves as this 95-year-old woman, filled out a ballot. They put it in a provisional and she voted. And that's, that's the problem with the system that we have to fix. You just can't, I mean, the, the you know, impersonating someone to go vote and and uh, the control over ballots. I mean, it's not always this wide scale fraud. It's a system that allows the kind of small abuses that do add up, especially in a close race like mine.
0: Exactly. And you start going down to county and state legislature. I mean, this happens all the time now, seems like more more than ever before. We do have a very closely divided country. And, you know, how much of this are we going to let slide? And, and, and I think what your race demonstrates, you know, take Trump out of it. This uh, many of us have been watching this the last couple of cycles in congressional elections. And this year was it was only worse because of the systemic mail ins. But I think the issue is systemic that we have smoke and we have fire. When it comes to very specific allegations of just very insidious fraud, there's smoke. And we have to investigate that. There are allegations and they need to be cross-examined. And it would help if people would join in. So it wouldn't just be a couple people doing this and everyone gets to spitball. But I think what you're bringing to the table here is that there's fire systemically. There's specific smoke, but the fire that we know is they have systemically broken election day. They have systemically created endless weeks of early voting, late voting, putting the elections on mail-ins, um, the ballot harvesting, blocking any and every effort to clean voter rolls off season or to have any degree of voter verification. I mean, it's funny you talked about the Ohio thing. That's a classic example of why we need to see it to the end. Ohio finally fought to the bitter end. They lost. They lost for years. It took years to get that implemented. Finally, the Supreme Court sided with them. But too often, Republicans drop it. I know North Carolina got crushed um, right today. Roy Cooper, the Democrat, is the governor because of a margin of ballot harvesting that pursuant to North Carolina law is not to be accepted. The Fourth Circuit screwed them over, and the Supreme Court absolutely would not side with them. We're confident about that. Hopefully this year we'll get a ruling on that. But, you know, you got you got to push it. You can't just drop it and then start anew every election, only to be victimized by the same thing. Any closing thoughts before you go on?
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you giving us a chance to kind of explain exactly what's going on. And one of the things that I think really, uh, especially... A lot of people feel very discouraged. They say, well, you know, I'm not going to vote again. But that's exactly the wrong thing. We need to fight this. And we need to say whether you're a Republican or Democrat, you need to fight, we need to fight this and make sure we get it right, because this could happen in a primary in New York City where it's two Democrats or or, uh, you know, it could be between parties. We just the integrity of what we need to do has to be done. I just want people to be uh, inspired and, uh, and and fight the fight, our, our patriots uh, that started this country were fighters. They made sure that we uh, have the laws that we have in place. It's not perfect, but we can fix it and we must pursue this and get it fixed so that elections in the future, as you say, while the cases are ripe, elections in the future uh, will be, we'll feel confident in them. I mean, what are the polling is showing that what, 75% of Americans don't think that the elections are fair. Uh, that's not the kind of system we uh, sh- should be celebrating in this country. We need to make it right so people feel confident that their vote is counted and it matters.
0: Exactly, and I think the other point that that you mentioned that's really important to highlight is it's not just systemic election fraud, but what I call systemic governing fraud, which is which was done out in broad daylight. No one had had a problem with this, and and Justice Alito warned about this in his speech at the Federalist Society a couple of weeks ago. We're, we just have the, the year of the executive. I mean, 2020 is the year of governors and mayors and county officials just say, hey, buddy, here's what we're doing. And, you know, they did it. They did this with um, they said because there's a virus, therefore, you don't have constitutional rights. Therefore, I'm a dictator. There's no legislature. We don't work out timelines and conditions and protect constitutional rights. Um, I'm holding a press conference at 8 p.m. tonight, and here's what you could do. You can't go to school. You can't have a business. You can't breathe. You can't do this. Well, it's not a big stretch, and it wasn't a stretch for them to say, look, the same virus is an emergency for us to also upend our electoral system. And the broader question is, where do we go with executive power with this? I mean, the executive power issue is a very important point, um, you know, it's funny, you go back to the Articles of Confederation. It was flawed because we had one branch of government, but it was a legislature. We never had a point where we just had an executive. And I, I think, look, look, Claudia, I look forward to working with you, you know, as a congresswoman. Hopefully, this will pull through and kind of taking that to the next level beyond the elections, but other issues as well that we need to work out. That, frankly, as you all know, the Republican Party has been pretty weak in enforcing uh, a resolution. Um, certainly with the virus and many other issues that are going on.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'd love to work with you. And uh, definitely this is uh, great. I'd love to hear Alito's speech, if I can find it somewhere. Uh, It's not just the year of the executive. Uh, It's been the year year after year of executive (laughs) rule. And and really, uh, I think it's time now for us to roll that back. And uh, I I think it's great that Justice Alito, I remember attending a Federalist Society event in uh, 2012, where the late Justice Scalia spoke about the problem with the executive branch and the problem with the bureaucracy and, and uh, too much power. And uh, it's interesting, here we are today where these people are actually not just talking about it, but they're really seizing this power to a level that we've never seen.
0: Exactly. And and again, there's election fraud, there's governing fraud, it's all systemic. There's questions of allegations, but there's what we see openly what has been done for years and was blown wide open this year. Your race is certainly a scary potential casualty of this. Hopefully it will work out. Keep us updated in the future and good luck. Great. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Take care. And there you have it, folks. That was Claudia Tenney running, still running, a month later in New York's 22nd District. And we'll see what happens. But again, this gets back to the point I mentioned at the beginning the equivalent in my mind, I mean, I I know I'm focused on the Corona fascism, but at least specifically as it relates to the electoral dispute, the equivalent of the 1876 bargain that would take place here is to say, look, you know, Republicans are like, look, you had a good run. Trump overperformed. Republicans did very well down ballot. This is great. Well, we have a great starting off point for next time. We'll fight next time. There won't be a next time. The way to make a next time is by, you know, it would be a pretty good deal to say, look, okay, Biden's president. But here's the deal. We're going to have election reform and it's going to be a couple things. Mail-ins are done. We're not doing mail-ins anymore. We're limiting early voting. We're having mandatory cleaning of rolls. Things like that. Very reasonable. It's not even a matter of getting something ideological. On COVID fascism, on on issues like like it was back then with with Reconstruction. But just on the electoral process, just making it fair. And then we could actually fight it out. But therein lies the problem. Democrats are never going to agree to that because they don't have to agree to that. Because they get the election for free. Because Republicans aren't going to contest it. We only have at most 10 votes in the Senate to do that. And that's the problem with issue after issue after issue of how the left gets away with one perfidy, one betrayal, and violation of law, the Constitution after another. They build on their previous one as the new baseline, only only to be used as a leverage point, the launching point for the next insidious usurpation. One after another, because they're never confronted. This is what is so important. This is what what is at stake much more than Trump himself. Send me your comments, questions, concerns to dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Follow me at rmconservative on Twitter at deh0414 on Parlor. And of course, our Facebook page before they take it down. Minimum speak easy. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all. And thank you for listening.